Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care Disability Competent Care webinar series. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on February 22, 2017. This webinar is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to ensuring beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes a full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care. In this podcast, June Kales, Adjunct Associate Professor at Western University of Health Sciences, explores common barriers to care that are experienced by individuals with disabilities, as well as strategies to address them. I'm going to talk about attitude, about asking and attending to physical equipment, programmatic, and communication access. So I kind of abbreviate that, and I say it's a three A's to Pepsi. Pepsi standing for that physical equipment, programmatic, and communication access. So I'll cover three competencies, being aware of and controlling your disability-related biases. That's attitude. Second is asking, listening, learning, and respecting and using information from participants. And thirdly, attending to or attention to detail. So building and baking these AAA competencies into your culture and your systems takes strong and sustained attention to applied practices, programs, procedures, protocols, trainings, and audits. The goal really is hardwiring these actionable practice competencies to reduce those disparities that Chris talked about. That is a higher incidence in people with disabilities of obesity, of smoking, of physical inactivity. People with disabilities are three times more likely to have heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and cancer than adults without disabilities. And nearly half of all adults with disabilities get no aerobic activity. And so these adults who don't get this aerobic activity are actually 50% more likely to have these chronic conditions. So baking in these competencies reduces other costly barriers as well, barriers like appointment failures and substandard and unequal treatment, as well as adverse events. And, you know, a more positively stated, making these competencies actionable achieves equitable and effective care and includes 
offering any of the needed services and accommodations. And that all results in improved health. Folks, you know, tell me, you say, hey, June, this content is just common sense. And I say, you know, yes, it is. But the gap between common sense and implementation, moving that needle is wide and deep. I know it can be hard to not see us speakers, and so I'm going to try and keep you busy so you don't get sucked in by that unanswered email. So I'm going to try my best to keep you active. So I, I ask you, one, in terms of staying active, to keep a running list of your next actions, your next actions based on what you hear and how it relates to what works, what doesn't work, and what needs work in your area of practice. So take a moment to list some of the compliance drivers behind PEP-C, Program Equipment, Physical, and Communication Access. Just take a list. Take a moment to make your list. So I've got six items on my list. How many did you get? First is the Americans with Disabilities Act. Despite over a quarter of a century since its passage, and also over a half century since the passage of a second driver, the 506 Section 504 of the Rehab Act of 1973, compliance is far from achieved. Additional compliance drivers include three state and federal contracts, four CMS regulations, five, performance and quality measures, and six, the increasing legal activity focused on PEPC. So in my view, and we focus on this with the disability competent care tools, I don't use disability etiquette or sensitivity or awareness because I think they're kind of rather, they're kind of soft and weak as compared to the weight and value when we talk about actionable disability practice competencies. So attitudes. You know, attitudes are the most silent but impactful barrier in terms of the first competency. Just take a moment to think about your experience with customer service with an attitude. List the words that describe that experience. Make your list. So when I ask people to, to do this, I people give me words like maddening, frustrating, condescending, paternalizing, dismissive, paternalistic, defeat, being exhausted by non by a non-responsive system. That's what it's like for some people with disabilities who encounter attitudinal barriers in healthcare. It might be more nuanced, 
and it might be more subtle. This attitude competency involves engaging in your own self-reflection regarding your beliefs, prejudices, stereotypes, and fears. Where do they come from? Are there messages you get from <clears throat> your culture or messages you got growing up about disability? How do you contain the negative ones so they don't leak out and interfere with your providing effective care? The attitudes are, you know, if you can't stand, you can't walk, you can't stay still or here, then we can't do this, or we can just skip the test or the exercise or nutrition class. And we assume you're not a sexual person, so we can skip the birth control, the HIV, and the STD discussions. So we get attitudes like, of course you smoke, you eat too much, you drink, you're depressed. You know, if I were you, I'd do that too. And one of my favorites, this is an ambulatory clinic, and you can't walk, so we really can't help you here. It's very common to um, equate disability with a lesser quality of life. So, all right, just to keep you busy here, I want you to create a list, two columns. I want you to, in the first column, write the words that describe the message, and in the second column, write down other words that describe the second message. So here's some messages. One, you'll never be able to walk again. Versus the second message, you'll have to explore some alternatives that will allow you to continue to work. Another message. One, you will always be an invalid. Versus two, you will have to explore new ways to use your strengths and skills to meet your goals. And the last one. One, talking to a parent, spouse, or partner, or child, you will have to take care of them. Versus two, Together, you can explore new ways to maximize their independence. So the first step communicates no hope, it's over, you're washed up, there are no options, and you're unable. Unable is pervasive. The second set communicates hope, encouragement, and options, and doesn't assume a lesser quality of life because of a disability. So as slide nine read, stereotypes are based on assumptions that run deep in our culture, so deep that they can slip by unnoticed unless our awareness is continually sharpened and refined. So slide 13. So I think it's important to self-reflect or to ATC acknowledge, tag, and contain any biases that are negative. These biases, they just don't go away. Stereotypes, frankly, are inevitable. And for me, it's about white men with southern accents. 
Don't ask me where that came from, but that's one of my strongest stereotypes that I have to keep a check, tag, and contain. So we all need to go through this analyzing of our biases so that these negative ones don't leak out and don't cause us to assume things like health, wellness, and disability cannot coexist or physical illness, decline, and other conditions don't have to accompany living with a disability. Another expression of underlying bias are attitudes, are images chosen from media and marketing content. Take a moment to think about the pictures, the images that promote your services, your plan, your clinic, and your hospital. I frequently see images of isolated, depressed people with disabilities being cared for or being poorly portrayed by actors or models. You know, in the disability subculture, we use code words, and we call these folks fake gimps, fake gimps, and we can easily spot them. So stronger images without biases are real people with disabilities who are active and engaged socially with others, picnics, partying with friends, singing in the choir, parenting, or participating in like an inclusive exercise class where some sit, some stand, and some use interpreters. It's a second competency, which includes asking, honoring and respecting the lived disability experience, the details, the diversity and the nuances of living with a disability, which can't be duplicated or thoroughly understood unless one integrates the practice of asking, listening, learning, respecting, and incorporating the information learned from people. It's a critical healthcare competency and it's use of insider information that you won't get arrested for. Insider information is vital. It's a vital source of knowledge for understanding accommodations needed. And it gives depth to the meaning of an important disability tenant, which is you've seen one person with a disability, then you've just seen one. It's understanding that disability is not about doing an exercise that artificially tries to simulate a disability in a time-limited experience like wearing a blindfold or using earplugs or using a wheelchair. So the asking competency means effective listening, asking, and always asking what works for you, making no assumptions. Always saying, can I assist you, and waiting to get the answer, and if it's yes, following up by asking, how can I assist you? Many of us have sophisticated knowledge about our bodies and most successful approaches and options for our healthcare management. My favorite story is I went from Amgram to a place I've been going to for years, and there was a new technician. So I said to her, you know, we need two technicians 
to get good pictures on me. And the text said, oh, honey, I've been doing this for years. Let's do it my way. And I said to her, oh, honey, I've been doing it for years, too. Let's do it my way. So after a brief pause, she did listen. And um, I know that that's a real sophisticated response on my part. It probably took years for me to have the guts to say. But in the end, the technician said, you know, you were right. And I'm glad you really spoke up and you kept your what you said. So some very good real stories are also covered in a webinar we did in 2015 on May 13th called The Lived Disability, The Lived Experience of Disability. It's the third competency, attending to the details of the accommodation needs. Once the need is established, it should be recorded, referred to, and updated. But how do we know what someone needs? We don't, we don't know. It's critical to ask everyone. And a question, a routine question that I use and promote is, will you need any assistance with getting on and off the table or other equipment, walking, seeing, reading, hearing, filling out forms, communicating, speaking during your appointment, or will you need an interpreter? Or I just want to make sure that all this information is still correct. This is information that needs to be recorded in a consistent place and referred to before and during appointments and updated. And the details have to be probed if someone says yes, either by the receptionist or by a call back from a, a staff member. Uh, one resource for you is questions to ask for identifying communication and accommodation needs. Those illustrate some of the probes underneath the questions, and we'll put that in the, uh, the chat box, that resource. Physical access, probably the best understood, but not necessarily communicated or available, and not always known to member services, care managers, case coordinators, social workers, or others, so they can have accurate information about providers' accessibility when asked. Physical access got to be a part of evaluating network adequacy so members are not confronted with insurmountable barriers leading to appointment failures. You know, that means path of travel barriers that are barely perceptible to people might as well be the Great Wall of China for people with mobility disabilities, buckling sidewalks, just one missing or unsafe curb ramp, lack of accessible parking spaces, waiting areas, bathrooms, or exam rooms that are too small to accommodate mobility devices or to navigate in. A call to an office clerk 
who may not understand the meaning of the details of the vague question, is your office wheelchair accessible, contributes to the risk of an appointment failure. Better practice is the use of consistent and accurate information derived from trained surveyors using a detailed, well-constructed survey tested. And one example is that one we use in California, and that's available from DHCS PARS. That would be Delta Hotel Charlie Stanley, and PARS would be Papa Alpha Romeo Stanley, and we'll put that in the chat box. Accessible medical equipment, which is also a form of physical accessibility. Height adjustable tables and chairs make an independent transfer possible for many, as well as an assisted transfer or a dependent transfer safer for participants and staff. Accessible wheelchairs located with other vital equipment is important for getting accurate weights. It's a critical part of the standard of care for many visits and being told to guess your weight is unequal or inadequate care, or being told that we'll just examine you in your wheelchair is also inadequate care. Communication access. And that's about getting, understanding, and using information um, and providing aids and services. Communication access is probably one of the least understood and where some of the greatest mistakes are made. Communication access means providing content in methods that are understandable and usable by people with reduced or no ability to speak or see or hear or limitations in learning or understanding. This includes people with cognitive and intellectual disabilities and includes people with limited language proficiency. So communication access takes many forms, uh, different formats, audio, digital, large print, pictures, models, braille, interpreters, readers, writers, assistive listing systems, computer-assisted real-time captioning or CART, captions, accessible websites, and good procurement contracts that make sure material comes is always available in those formats. Many, there are many in this group. It's really an unrecognized large group of the population that benefits when content is offered in formats other than standard print. And you know what? Almost everybody benefits from pictures, and models. An audio format helps many, many people with moving and seeing and learning and reading and language uh, limitations. Program access. Program access to services. And is needed by some to be able to benefit from the physical communication and equipment access. So, for example, although transfer onto and off of a height-adjustable medical equipment
equipment is safer for all, some still need transfer assistance. But lift teams or lift equipment or lift training doesn't yet exist in many places. Hence, we hear much too often, again, we'll just examine you in your chair, which means, again, unequal treatment. Uh, A woman explained in a focus group I led, I've delayed visits to doctors, uh, doctors' offices because it takes a village to get me on and off the exam table, which means I just don't go for preventive care appointments. Other types of programmatic access assistance include longer appointments to accommodate people who need more time to speak, to ask questions, and understanding answers, or to use interpreters, or to use CART. Program access can include sending forms out ahead of time, or reading them at the appointment and filling out forms at the appointment, as well as transportation assistance. The goal with Pepsi is to integrate these needs into practice, so when making referrals for health care, or to community providers, the needs are met, and the referrals are not failed attempts, but successes. In in reflecting back to the question, will you need any assistance with getting on or off equipment, walking, seeing, reading, hearing, or filling out forms, or communicating, um, to repeat, these needs, these answers, have to be highlighted in the record in a consistent and prominent place where they can't be missed and are not buried in the electronic health record or missed because the user has alert fatigue. I know in the EPIC system, the header, it comes up in a yellow header first thing so it won't be missed. So I call these quality service accommodation alerts. Again, they're referred to before and during appointments and routinely updated. In our work with many health plans, we find that the integration of the accommodation needs across services is a huge problem, primarily because data systems are built on a variety of incompatible platforms. And this is a big need, needing attention. For example, even though all the Medicaid plans in California have good data regarding physical accessibility of primary care specialists and ancillary healthcare providers, the staff, care coordinators, case managers, and others cannot access the information always, or it's not provided in the provider directory. Or on the plan's website. So staff, in an attempt to do something, will revert back to the inadequate practice of calling and getting inaccurate or uninformed answers, as we've already discussed. Another aspect of this that needs attention is that current requirements 
remain silent regarding the integration of accessibility into network adequacy. This is a critical bridge to healthcare equity for a large slice of the population. For example, there may be 15 gynecologists in a provider network who are within the allowable time and distance requirements of a member who is a wheelchair user. But if you or none of these gynecologists have physical access to and through the facility, hide adjustable exam tables, lists, or available trained personnel to assist with transfers, then none of the providers can provide member with effective care. Should this not be a key element of network adequacy? We have Annie, and the objective of achieving successful referrals and system navigation includes the integration of this accessibility, which means all players and staff need access to accurate information to help Annie with her community, taking advantage of community services as well as healthcare services. So making it happen, you know, I'm not known for my patients and I want change to occur in nanoseconds and not in geologic or glacial time, but I reluctantly learned that I and you just have to be raging incrementalists to be real change agents. I refer you back to your next action list. What's on your list? First, I remind you that this is multiple exposure material to hardwire this into your culture and your systems. Takes that sustained and continued attention to those AAAs and Pepsi. The results, you won't have to scramble at the last minute to meet known and hopefully documented needs, and you'll be able to offer access elements smoothly and without unnecessary disruptions, wait times, or delays. You know, it's just part of that right stuff at the right time using the right delivery methods. So slide 33, I'll take the opportunity to list 10 items for you for your next action list that you may already have on your list or want to add. Okay, you got to... Take these down because they're not on the slides. So one, be an incremental improvement maker. Use this content to look at what works, doesn't work, and needs work in your area of practice. Two, you could assemble small work groups or learning groups to do a deeper dive. Three, you could weave and insert this content into places where these topics are or need to be discussed. Four, you can integrate this content into your quality improvement discussions. Five, you can use your advisory groups to probe and discuss what needs work. Six, you can use the DCAT tool 
you've heard about in this website series. Seven, you can get feedback in integrating questions regarding Pepsi into your member satisfaction survey. And eight, you can use another tool that will post or you can Google called the Competency Planning Checklist for Providing Healthcare for People with Disabilities. Competency Planning Checklist for Providing Healthcare for People with Disabilities. That'll be in chat. Nine, you can bring in trainers and consultants to help 